Well, we are in a new section now in Corinthians as we go through chapters 11 through 14. And Paul's going to be speaking to the church and he's going to be talking about some specific issues that were happening in the Corinthian fellowship. And we're going to see that they're, they're timeless and they apply uh, to all time from the first century to the 21st century. We're going to talk about hair today, which is something I don't ever talk about. But that is one of the main issues that they're having there. Um, the first one is head coverings, and we're going to see it also applies to gender roles and, and the Lord's order that he has established things. In the next few chapters, we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper or the Agape Feast. The church at Corinth would gather together on the first day of the week, and they'd have this great big um, potluck, and they'd also celebrate the Lord's Supper. But they, were, they weren't doing it right. And then we're going to see the exercising of spiritual gifts as we go through chapter uh, 14. And we're going to see that all these things in Corinth were being done completely in disorder. See, the Corinthian church is, is different than anything else going on in the first century because you had slaves, freed people, Jews, Gentiles, women, and children all meeting together. And, and this is just unheard of in the Roman world. And we're going to start looking at that and what that meant and, and how the Lord wanted to do business in Corinth and move in the hearts of his people. And we're going to apply it from the first century to the 21st century. So let's go before the Lord in prayer and we'll read verses 1 through 3 together. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in advance for the work you'll be doing here this morning in our hearts and in our lives as you teach us from the people there in Corinth. We pray, Lord, that you would apply your word to us. And as we look at some of these challenging texts, Lord, you would teach us what you want for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's read together verses 1 through 3. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. I love that 1 Corinthians 11, 1 is in this chapter because it's technically the closing statement of chapter 10. See, in the last chapter, Paul was telling us that anything we do, we need to be doing for the benefit of others. We're to exercise our liberty, our freedom in Christ, to bless others. And he was telling them not to stumble other people. Remember in the last few chapters, he's been talking about meat offered unto idols. He told them that, yes, the idols are, are dead. There's, there's no other gods but the true and living God. But we're not going to partake of that because we don't want to stumble other people. We're going to use our liberty to bless others, not to burden them. He talked about being married. He said that you should be married, but... He chose not to be married for the benefit of others. And then we saw him sharing how he should receive financial uh, gain or he should receive a blessing from the church, but he refused it because he wanted to further the gospel. Everything was about blessing other people, leading them closer to Christ, not hindering them in their growth. And that's when he closes that statement as we begin chapter 11, with imitate me as I imitate Christ. And this is so important because it's going to build the entire context for this chapter. 
Some of these verses have been taken wildly out of context in some fellowships. And so we're going to put them all together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul told us what he says here in verse 1. He says, Therefore I urge you, imitate me. Now, this is strange to us because there's so many Christians today, well, don't, don't look at me, just look at Jesus, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, just, just follow Christ. And he says, no, no, you can follow my walk with Christ. Now, in Romans, Paul tells us that he doesn't do everything right. In fact, he's, he amazes himself how he keeps making mistakes over and over, and yet he can still claim, follow me as I follow Christ. And so we have a role to play. We have things we have to do to represent our Lord. Now, in verse 2 now, he talks about keep the traditions I gave you. What's important, though, is that we have to separate the traditions of man and the principles of God. Because a lot of people want to lay a heavy burden on us. They want to bring religious tradition to us, and they want to bring us and hinder us. And many times they'll claim that those things are from God when they're not. In fact, Jesus himself dealt with this very thing, him and his disciples. In Matthew chapter 15, for example, the Pharisees came to him and said, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition?" So they, they had a different tradition that they thought was spiritual that got, brought them closer to God, but it wasn't. It was actually hindering them, and the Pharisees were supposed to represent the Lord. If we take it out of the first century and we go to the 21st century, there are people trying to give us all kinds of cultural things and traditional things and religious things, new philosophies, new teachings, and many of these things are garbage. And then we can look in our own lives and we can say, what habits do we have? that hinder our relationship with the Lord. Or, to keep this in its context with the Corinthians, are hindering our brothers and sisters that we have relationships with. What traditions that we may think are good? What rules have we placed that are actually hindering the gospel and hindering our relationship with the Lord in between our growth? And then we're going to separate the traditions of man and we're going to apply them to non-negotiable principles, biblical principles. And that leads us to verse 3. Now, it is crazy to me that in the 21st century, we have to state there are only two genders, man and woman, male and female. That's it. God created them. He established them. And there are specific roles for them. Christ is first. He is the head He is in charge of all creations. In Colossians, it says all things exist through him and by him. And so we have to do a better job as Christians at delineating what are cultural things and then what are non-negotiables. In fact, the Bible warns of this this in Colossians 2.8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So this morning, we're going to go through some um, seemingly inconsequential things, but then we're going to see there's some non-negotiable principles. 
we're going to navigate some culture and some traditions, and we're going to apply them to ourselves. But then we're also going to see that we have a role to play, and we are to follow God's plan, not the plans of man. So what is the issue that Paul wants to talk about in Corinth? Let's read verses 4 through 6. He says, Every man... Excuse me, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for there is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. Now, if we take these verses and we don't read the rest of this chapter and we don't put it in as verses, it sounds like people need some haircuts and we need to start putting some hats on and some coverings. But these verses are being taken out of context when they're not paired together. Remember, Paul has just said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow the traditions, the proper traditions of Christ. And remember that each one of us has a role to play. I'm going to warn you right now, in chapter 14, I'm going to talk about the role that women play in the church, how uh, leading or not to lead female pastors, which is not biblical, Um, and we'll we'll talk about that more in detail. But this morning, we're going to spend more time talking about what are cultural issues in the church, and then what, again, are those non-negotiables. Does the Lord really care how long your hair is? Now, again, let's take these things in their context. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And in the last chapter, he just told us that we're to lay down our rights for the benefit of others. Why is this important? Because Christ is the head of the church. And the Bible tells us that the man is the head of the household. And that man is supposed to submit to the Lord. And that the wife is to submit to her husband. And the children are to submit to both. This is radical thinking. The philosophies of this world are telling us that the church is oppressing women, we're oppressing people, we're gender um, assigning people, and therefore we're oppressing others. But this whole section of scripture is about us laying down our rights and our liberties for others. Be clear, God created man and woman separate and with different roles. But being under authority does not equal inferiority. Being under authority does not equal inferiority. Jesus Christ is our perfect example of this. He is equal with God the Father, John 5, John chapter 8. And yet, he was under authority of the Father. He yielded to the commandments of the Lord, of the Father. Equal, yet under authority. Men and women, men and female, men and female, women, I, I can't even, they got me so twisted, I can't even say it right. Men and women, males and females, we're equal. We were created equal. In fact, Jesus is the great liberator. He's not the great oppressor. Remember what I told you about the Corinthian church in the first century? This is radical to have free and slave people in the same room, rich and poor, females and children. In the Roman world in the first century, in this context, women were property. And it's not until several decades after this epistle is written 
that the Roman emperor would allow free women to purchase things without, a, without someone watching them. In that culture, this is completely radical that women would be able to speak publicly, pray and prophesy publicly, much less with their head uncovered. And so Jesus is the great liberator. Remember Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. But we all have a role. We all have a specific purpose, and we're all under authority. The Lord is uniting us. He is freeing us. He is liberating us. Remember what Paul would say, though, that we're not to seek our own. We're not supposed to use this liberty to oppress anyone, to insinuate anything, or to get in the way of anybody following after the Lord. In fact, in the very last chapter, verses 23 and 24, it says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. That's the context in which this is written. You see, females were not to have their head shaved in the Corinthian church because that's what the temple prostitutes did. And so they're standing up in the midst of the assembly, and they want to prophesy something. Meanwhile, they're distracting everyone with their appearance. And Paul's saying, don't do that. Don't do that. You're not showing that you're submitted. You're not showing the role. And you should be under authority. More on that in chapter 14. He says men should have their head uncovered when they pray. Why do I know this is cultural? Because it's the opposite of what you do in Jewish-Israeli culture. When Jews gather together, the men have to have a head covering on when they pray. You'll see them today with the yarmulke. You'll see them um, Orthodox Jews with big brimmed hats, depending on their uh, tradition. And so Paul is saying the men in Corinth need to have their hats off because you don't want to stumble them. And we're going to show some more examples of that. But here we have Roman, Greek, Jewish, Scythian, Gentile cultures all amalgamated together, all gathered together, all with different backgrounds. And we're saying here, generally speaking, the women should have long hair, the men should have short hair. He's going to talk about that in a minute. But the purpose is not to oppress or make anyone do anything because we're all to yield our liberty to the Lord. All things are lawful. If you want to have long hair, have long hair. You want to have short hair, have short hair. But as a believer, we don't want to do anything that's going to stumble someone. You know, it's amazing to me the different burdens that people will place on each other. I wear, I wear blue jeans on Sunday mornings when I teach. That doesn't mean that I'm spiritual. It means I'm lazy. <laughs> and it does stumble some people. But I have the freedom in Christ. Now, some people will look at me and say, well, he wears a collared shirt every Sunday. He's so uh, uptight. It's like, well, no, I, I want to show some reverence to the Lord. But the same people would criticize me for my la- uh, liberty. Others would criticize me for my legality. The, the key is, am I stumbling people or bringing them closer to the Lord? Am I exercising this liberty? Am I imitating Christ and following after him? Or am I laying a burden down on people that no, men, no woman can keep? 
And in the meantime, the world is coming after us and trying to say, oh, you're oppressors, you're bigots, you're backwards. Nothing could be further from the truth. It's the exact opposite. In fact, Paul goes into more detail here in verses 7 through 10 when he says, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But but woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Now was man created for the woman? Excuse me. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Let's look to Adam and Eve. See, God created everything. He is the creator. These gender roles are not up for negotiation. This is not a cultural issue. This is a non-negotiable principle of God. We know from Ephesians chapter 5 that a husband and a wife, a male and a female together in unity before God are a representation of Jesus Christ and the church, that we are his bride corporately. And so when we're changing that and we're, we're trying to renegotiate that in a culture, we're trying to corrupt the very image of Christ in the church. We know that God created Adam and Eve back in Genesis chapter 1 to complete each other. They were made in the image of God. And remember, this is before the fall. This is before sin. This is before death entered into the world. That means this is the primary plan, the perfect plan for a man and a woman to be put together in marriage. In Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Male and female. In all of creation, that's how it works. And, and somehow they've begun to corrupt so that even the Christian may begin to question themselves. Well, am I the oppressor? Should there be different roles? Is these things backwards? Maybe everyone should just be able to marry whoever they want. Maybe people should be able to choose whatever gender they want. Maybe there's no such thing as gender. Maybe you do need to be a biologist to understand someone's gender. No, 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 no. And I loved what David Guzik put in his commentary, so I wanted to share it with you. He said, since the 1960s, there's been a massive change in the way we see and accept authority. And we're going to see that's the real problem. Citizens do not have the same respect for the government's authority. Students do not have the same respect for the teacher's authority. Women do not have the same respect for men's authority. Children do not have the same respect for parents' authority. Employees do not have the same respect for their employer's authority. People do not have the same respect for the police's authority. And Christians no longer have the respect for the church authority. It's important to ask, have the changes been good? Do we feel safer? Are we more confident in our culture? Have television and other entertainment gotten better or worse? In fact, our society is presently in and rushing towards complete anarchy, the state where no authority is accepted. And the only thing that matters is what I want to do. Ultimately, this is about rebellion, a rebellion against God. Even the people that are making these decisions don't know it. 
Does that mean we don't have compassion? Does that mean that we don't care and love other people that disagree with us? That's why this context is so important. Of course we do. Does this mean that I'm going to go home and beat my wife and tell her to submit to my authority? No, because we want to follow Christ. How did Jesus treat his bride, the church? How did he treat his people? He gave himself. He continued to serve and to serve and to bless. They beat him. They scourged him. They mocked him. They questioned him. They doubted him. And yet he kept coming back, kept offering himself, preaching the truth and blessing. Did he make anyone follow after him? Let's take this to its ultimate end. If God wanted to, could he not just open heaven, open the sky, show up, take away our free will, and submit us all into obedience? Of course he could. He's God. Except for he made a law for himself that he cannot lie. He cannot break a promise. And he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the Bible tells us in our roles in Ephesians chapter 5 that the husband is to be the head of the household. But what else does it say? To love his wife like Christ loved the church. It says that women are to submit to their husbands. Husbands are to love their wives, and then children are to be in in subjection to the parents. Does that mean that I'm forcing my children to do things? Of course, I'm forcing them to do some things. But I love them. I cherish them. I protect them. I give myself for them. Every day I wake up in the morning, I go to work. I don't want to go to work. There's other things I'd rather do. But I want to serve And so when we're talking about the church, we want to do things the way that God has told us. Men, we need to take the roles that God has given us and ordained. Women, we need to take the role that the Lord has shown us. If you're living in your parents' household, you're to be obedient to them, to follow after them. And we don't do these things out of obligation or inferiority. Remember, submitting to authority does not equal inferiority. We are going to submit on our own. We're going to submit on our own by choice. And remember, Jesus is our perfect example of this. At the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays to the Father. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he's obedient to the cross for all of us. That is love. To his word. And what is interesting to me is that people will come and they'll want to take some verses out of context and they want to force that context on others. I know people that at certain times, you know, they want to wear a head covering and they want to show everyone how spiritual they are. And it's not about them being submitted to the Lord. And if it is, then praise God if they want to honor the Lord that way. I know others that say if you don't wear a three-piece suit on Sunday that you're, you're not a real Christian. You don't even love the Lord. But that isn't true. I know others that will only worship on Saturdays because if you worship on Sunday, you're worshiping a false god. They just forget that verse in Romans that says, one man exalts one day above another and another man every day the same. Let each reason within his own mind. And they want to take these things out of their context and oppress you with them, the traditions and religion of men. 
instead of focusing on the God-given principles, the non-negotiables. See, we are free in Christ, male and female, slave, free, Jew, Gentile. But what does the Bible say in Galatians 5? For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. I was talking to a brother the other day. We were talking about this temptation of smoking. He asked, you know, how did I quit that because it was difficult? It was difficult. And I said, you know, I'm still tempted to this day. You know, I just don't do it. I said, the shame of doing it overcame the thrill of a puff. But can I, can I smoke a cigarette and be a pastor? Can you smoke marijuana? I, I say no because you can't, co- it's pharmacia. But that being said, none of you would know. But I'm driven not by my desire to please you. I am desire by my love for Christ and following him and imitating him. And in doing so, I don't want to stumble anybody around me. That's the context what this is. So for a woman to jump up in the Corinthian church, have her head shaved, looking like a temple prostitute, reminding them of paganism, not listening to her husband, like, oh, pipe down, pipe down. Don't do it. For the men to have big coverings on, you know, hats on, there's some spiritual, uh, textual debate that there is pagan rituals that required them to wear hats and they were wearing them in that church. I don't know if that's true or not. But the underlying principle is that it was distracting to others to where Paul would go against his own culture that tells him that men have to wear head coverings. In its, in its context here, this is about doing things decently and, authority, and, decently and in order and submitting to authority, not taking the attention on ourselves. Remember, because the world is trying to brainwash us, Submission to authority does not equal inferiority. I will give um, an example from our history, talking about a rebellion in our country that was necessary, that I believe was dictated by the Bible. But when Martin Luther King Jr. and his followers peacefully gathered, they submitted to beatings, to water hoses, to dogs, to heckles, to jeers, and they submitted themselves, but they also rebelled. They showed great self-control. When others in that same time frame were telling them to pick up weapons and to fight for that freedom, and they showed that submission to authority did not equal inferiority. And now, he has a national holiday well-deserved for that entire movement Most importantly, we know that he was driven by his faith, following after Christ. There are things that are non-negotiable. There are things that we are going to stand for. There are things that are going to be in contrast to the world, and we're going to stand on biblical non-negotiables. In our society, gender roles are non-negotiable. Biblical principle all the way back to the creation. And we're seeing that this is about rebellion to God more than it is about exercising freedom. Because it's interesting to me how others in our culture are using their quote-unquote exercising of freedom to take away our rights to say, no, I don't agree. To attack us. 
Now let's read verses 11 through 12. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man comes also comes through woman. But all things are from God. And so again, when we put it in its context, yes, we're supposed to submit one to another, submit in his hierarchy, submit in the way that he told us to, and it's submitting one to another. Because true leadership doesn't oppress and dictate and mandate. It encourages, it equips. I don't make my wife do anything. We do things through conversation and consensus. But ultimately, it's my responsibility before God how my household is run. I make my kids do things all the time, but many times it's through discussion because I don't want to oppress my children. I want to teach them and educate them that when it's their time to run their households, they're making biblical decisions if they decide. And so it is true with us. We're to follow Christ, and we're supposed to stand on His principles. We're together in this. The church... Men, women, leadership, families, we complement and complete each other as we follow the roles that God created for us as we submit one to another. And now verses 13 through 16, it says, judge among yourselves. Highlight that one. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that a man has long hair That if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him. But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor the churches of God. Oh, the context, the context, the context. Number one, judge among yourself. Is Is this working or not working? In my family, in my house, boys have short hair, the girls have long hair. Now, if you don't do it that way, exercise your liberty. That's fine. Judge amongst yourself. What's the priority here? It's not the hair. It's verse 16. But if anyone seems contentious, we have no such custom. It is fascinating to me what people will prioritize. What church service you go to, how much do you pray, what Bible version you're using. Sometimes those are important non-negotiables, but the majority of the time, it's somebody trying to seem more spiritual than somebody else. Jesus told us that we need to prioritize what is important. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, Jesus says, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not consider the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Who cares about hair if you're living in rebellion? Who cares about whether or not the worship music goes too long or the temperature of the thermostat here in the sanctuary? Who cares about if you're living in secret sin? What do you care about what your neighbor is doing down the street if you don't have a personal deep relationship with the Lord? How can we complain about somebody else's fill-in-the-blank, hair length, but you don't even have a personal relationship with the Lord? We need to have the mind of Christ and to imitate Him. 
If you're here and you're thinking, man, I really hope my wife is listening to this, you're wrong. If you're, if you're thinking, man, if my husband would just do what he said, just lead like he's supposed to, you're wrong. If you're thinking, man, I hope the kids really get this one, it's about us submitting to the Lord and following our role. What has he called us to do? We are to be the example. And we're to live our lives so that there's no doubt what gender you are. Nobody should be guessing what gender you are. What role that gender plays. What your role is in the family. What your role is in the church. And we should live our lives so the whole world has no doubt who our Savior is. And that we live by grace, that we are free, that we are set free. And I use my liberty And I use my rights and my freedom in Christ to be under authority and to bless others. We need to live our lives trying to take the speck of our own lives, or or the beam out of our own eyes, instead of looking at all the little specks in our brothers and sisters. Even your spouse. Are you truly following after Christ? Are you seeking His benefit over others? Or are you self-seeking, trying to be more spiritual, trying to be better than everyone, trying to show that yourself that you're greater than everyone else? We need to be motivated by love. As Paul closes out these chapters and he goes through every single one of these issues, we see that when we have a love for Christ and a love for each other, it completely changes these roles. I love my wife. I will give myself for my wife. I will work. I will suffer. I will go through battles, trials. And it's not because of my role. It's not because I'm supposed to be the head of the household. It's because I care about her. I want what's best for her. And we see the same thing is true. That's how the Lord loves His bride, the church. He continues to pour himself out, to bless us, to teach us, to shower us with grace and love. When we rebel, when we backslide, when we become self-seeking, when we tell him to bless us instead of us blessing him, he continues to show us what real leadership and authority is. And so we're to submit, to be of the same mind, the mind of Christ. And that's what Philippians chapter 2 says. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. It says, Therefore... If there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not for only his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which also was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. That's the creator of the universe. To be great in the kingdom of heaven is to be least. For people to fill in the blank, be who they are. But for us, we're not oppressors. We're not in rebellion to rebellion. 
We are to yield to the Spirit of God, to follow after Him, and to be servants of all, that others are blessed and not ourselves. To pick up the cross, follow after Him, to die to ourselves daily. That is what it is to be a Christian. I pray the Lord encourages you, teaches you, as you walk in those roles and, and grow in what God has given you, as He continues to teach us through these chapters and through these issues, that we have a clear and concise understanding of what non-negotiables are and then what is religious tradition and then continue to grow in grace. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would give us the same mind, Lord, to not be seeking ourselves, but to be seeking you, sharing you with the world, Lord, growing closer in our relationship to you. Apart from you, we, we can't do any of this, Lord. Help us to be a representative of yours to the world, that you would be magnified and lifted up. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you need prayer, come on up. We'd love to pray with you, share with you. Don't forget, we have a baptism next Sunday at 2 o'clock at Dreesen Beach. They can give you the directions up there by the uh, books. Um, also, I want to mention all those books back there, if they're for you, for a friend. Just grab one and um, may the Lord bless you.